Welcome, welcome, welcome to Another Look Podcast, beloved. Here at Another Look Podcast, we take a deep dive into our faith walk as followers of Christ. We examine our faith closely, we deconstruct and rebuild by the Spirit of God so they see Him through us. Basically, we seek to decrease so that He can increase and be magnified. It's a good day to die to self, y'all. You ready for this? Let's get it. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Welcome back. This is another look podcast. This is your brother, minister, brother, or friend, <laughs> Kenneth Davis, or otherwise known as Brother Kenny D. Um, coming to you today episode two of faith over feelings and um last week we did the introduction or i'm sorry last episode we did the introduction for faith over feelings and again we're talking about how to overcome our feelings by using our faith and um it's been about three weeks since i did the last episode and i do apologize usually i do it every two weeks but there's a reason why i um did not do it last week and part of it was because I was dealing with looking at the video from what happened with brother uh, Ty Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee and um, I'm be honest with you my feelings were all over the place because I was kind of wrecked um, and, and I was wrecked for a multitude of reasons but just the fact of seeing someone with the unmitigated goal of taking another person's life under the color of authority, meaning they had a badge. And in their mind, I guess they felt that that was the okay morally to beat a man to death. And, and, it, and it, it shook me. It, it messed with me. It, it, it discouraged me. It angered me. It frightened me because I am a father, African-American man who is a believer and follower of Christ, who has a African-American son and African-American daughters who, you know, I pray for daily. But I also had to come to grips with the fact that if that was my son, what would I do? And a lot of feelings came into play and I really had to take to heart the lessons I'm learning about how to exercise my faith over feelings. And um, there were some moments I was not proud of. There were some times when, if I could be honest with you, I wasn't willing to extend grace because I wanted those men who happened to hold a badge to pay dearly for what they did to that young man, that young life, that father, that son. But then I had to come to the realization of my faith walk. And I'm not saying what they did was right, but I had to understand that, look, God's grace even extends to those police officers or those gentlemen for their heinous act. Realistically, when Christ gave his life on the cross for us, they were included in that us. And my flesh hates to think that. My flesh hates to even consider that. But I had to put my flesh under subjection. Because God so loved the world. And we are all in that. That he gave his life. So that we could have life and life more abundantly. And... You know, that's a hard check for your feelings, but the reality is, is that's the truth. I don't like what they did. And just as equally as Ty Nichols is in glory with the father, hopefully, I also have to believe that they will have that opportunity as well. And, and, and you know, that puts my feelings in check. Because who am I to judge? What they did was wrong, but is it forgivable? Absolutely. I'm not God. Much as I'm angry, much as I'm upset with what they did, the blood still covers it if they choose to receive it. 
and um, that this past week, that's what I was reconciling in my heart is that God's love has no parameters. God's love has no conditions attached. It's just a matter of whether the person who he's willing to give his love to is willing to receive it. My hope is out of this whole situation. And I won't get into the whole history of how we as people of color have been maligned, abused, murdered, and killed, especially during Black History Month. That could go on beyond February, but I'm here for a purpose, and my purpose is to make the gospel of grace tangible to all those people, especially those who are in the shadows. And so, in this season, and I'm sure beyond season three, that's what I'm going to do. So, with this episode of Faith Over Feelings, and and by the way, thank you for that, uh, giving me that moment to reflect on what happened. Um, I'm not one of those people, by the way, who hides from current events just to create a brand or push things. I'm not, and I I don't know about you, but I hate when churches do that, when they just go on with their episode, but they never even, I don't even know what that sound was, but anyway, they just go on with their episode, but they never talk about these things. They act like nothing happened. They haven't, that's when they're creating brand. They're not even talking about life. Life happens and people need to talk about that. You hear me, pastors? Don't ignore when you see these things. People are hurting. And God's trying to get to them. And yes, the word is what is is the cure, the antidote. But don't ignore the fact that people are hurting. And they, they're going through their feelings. Don't ignore their feelings. Teach them how to use their faith to overcome their feelings. And thank you to the many pastors who do do that. But for those who don't, stop trying to push your brand and minister to the sheep. Tend to the sheep, not to your your thing, your agenda. I'm going to move on from there. So let's talk about faith or feelings. So what feeling are we going to talk about today, Brother Kennedy? I'm going to talk about rejection. And for anybody who is new to the faith or anyone who is back home trying to get this right as far as their following of Christ, rejection is a really tough feeling to overcome with your faith. What is rejection? By definition, rejection is the dismissal or refusal of a proposal. It's the act of refusing to accept, use, or believe someone or something. And so why is rejection such a difficult mountain to overcome for anyone, whether they are followers of Christ or not? Well, the main reason is because God created us to be connected. And to be connected, we have to be accepted by others. We desire to be connected to. It's a natural desire, spiritually, soulishly, and mentally, to want to be connected to someone. But the challenge is, what do we do when our desire to connect with someone is not mutually accepted or agreed upon? That, my friend, is what we call rejection. And I don't know about you, but rejection has been one of the biggest obstacles one of the biggest mountains I've I've had to address and still having to deal with. Especially when it's from someone who you desire to be connected to, or even if it's from someone who you are in, you know, like your family. And we're going to talk about someone in the Bible who had to deal with that. And I'm going to talk about my own personal testimony about it. So yeah, like I said in the introduction, I'm going to share a little bit about me in this. It would be disingenuous for me to even attempt to talk about these things without putting my testimony out there, putting my, um, even sometimes my current situation out there. So let's get into it. Again, we talked about what rejection is and why it's difficult because we want to be connected. We all, we were created 
to be connected where every joint supplies. And so what, when we don't have mutual acceptance, where someone doesn't want to connect with us, even though we want to connect with them, we go through these range of reactions and emotional experiences and feelings when we experience rejection. For example, we go through hurt, right? I mean, we go through that, that dismal pain of hurt because we want this person so badly to be part of our lives or be connected in our lives. And what is the definition of hurt? It's an emotional pain or anguish. It causes offense. When we go through hurt, we feel a soul wound because it affects our view of ourselves personally. When someone does not reciprocate our desire to be connected, we take it personal because we think, well, what's wrong with me? What other emotions or feelings do we have when we experience rejection? We feel discouraged. We feel deprived. Definition of, of discouraged is we feel deprived of courage or confidence. We lose our confidence when someone rejects us. Think of it from a, a relationship standpoint. You know, if, if you, if as, a, as a man, you know, or however you, you are with your, with your, how you're oriented. But when you care about someone, and you have emotional connect or you want to emotionally connect to someone, you know, in a relationship, let's say it's, uh, you know, you want to be in a romantic relationship with someone and they don't reciprocate. You feel kind of, um, you know, you lack confidence. You start to have self-doubts and lack of self-confidence in yourself. No, and that same thing applies even if it's a friendship. If someone, if you want to connect with someone in a, in a totally you know, platonic way and say, look, hey, I want to I'll see if I can be this person's friend. And they don't reciprocate in kind. You kind of feel you kind of lose confidence in your ability um, as a person. You feel deprived or or, or, or you, yeah, you feel deprived basically of of uh, courage. You don't have the courage to go and say, I'm going to try it again. So if I if you come to me and, and you want to be my friend and I don't reciprocate in kind the same zeal and excitement that you have to want to be friends. You lose confidence. And so the next time you meet someone and you have that same inkling to want to be friends, you may pull back because now you don't have the courage to ask them to be a friend or to, to put yourself out there because you don't want to go through the feelings of rejection. You also feel disappointed. Um, by definition, disappointed is being defeated in expectation of hope. So you have this expectation of hope that this person um, will connect with you and it doesn't come to pass. So you feel defeated. And whether you're discouraged or disappointed, basically it leaves you feeling vulnerable because you misjudged a perceived connection. You, you, per you perceived that this person like you wants to be connected to you. And when it doesn't come to pass, it kind of hurts your feelings and it kind of leaves you uh, feeling vulnerable because you went out of your way to open yourself up emotionally and soulishly and, and, and mentally and spiritually and they cut you by rejecting you. And so, you know, it then could manifest the anger. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure and you're upset. You're upset internally because you had an earnest action to connect with the person and it was denied without an explanation or a sincere sense of closure. And so what happens is that anger then gets projected onto something or someone else. So if someone doesn't want to connect with you, you kind of take it out on your spouse or you take it out on your girlfriend or you take it out on your boyfriend or you take it out on your children or you take it out on your coworker. You take that anger that you can't express towards the person who rejected you and you project it onto someone else or something else or somewhere else. And, and that's not good. So the, the question before us then is this, how can my faith help me to overcome these feelings of rejection? How can my faith help me to overcome these feelings of rejection? And I'm glad you asked that question because we're going to look at 
some an example. And of course, you know, the best example is always going to be Jesus. Because he, even in the Bible, he's known as the rejected cornerstone. But he never perceived himself as being rejected. He knew he would go through that. But he never saw himself. The difference between him and us is that even though he, those, those feelings came to him, those feelings had no rule over him. They didn't reign over him. But with us, they do. Because we were groomed, we were you know, raised to follow our feelings. And, and we've seen the, the detrimental effect of doing that. But let's look at someone, King David. And let's look at the different examples of rejection that he had to experience. And he went through quite a few. And I'm not going to go in deep detail in the Bible, but I will give you scripture. I may not read them all, but I'll we'll just talk, okay? And there, there may be one or two scriptures I will dive into because it really shows how he overcame his feelings with feelings of rejection by his faith. But let's talk about David and how he experienced rejection on the many levels of his life. Let's start with his father, Jesse. And this is in 1 Samuel 16. So let me paint a picture. So, um, you know, when God wanted to be the king over Israel, they wanted a physical king. So they ch- God let them choose Saul. And Saul, you know, was uh, God allowed them to have Saul as their king. You know, Saul looked the part. He was the part. He was a, um, you know, handsome, tall, warrior-like dude. And, you know, they, you know, God said, okay, I'll let you um, choose him. And God allowed it. And God um, even anointed Saul to be king, Um, you know, because that's what the people's choice was. That wasn't God's choice, but he allowed it. So after a while, you know, Saul did his thing and Saul decided he wanted to, he knew better than God. And God rejected Saul as king and told the prophet Samuel to go look for um, the, the king of God's choosing in the house of Jesse. And so, you know, Samuel came there and told Jesse, bring all your sons before me. And he brought son after son after son. And, he, you know, even Samuel was like, well, he looks like a king. You know, he was basing it off of physical. And God, for each son that, of Jesse that was brought before Samuel, God was like, no, that's not them. And then, you know, after Jesse brought his, his sons and God rejected all of them, Samuel's like, you don't have any other sons in the house? And Jesse said, oh, I do have my youngest son in the field. And so, you know, he brought, you know, David, who was that son, before Jesse, I mean, before Samuel. And God said, that's the one. And Samuel anointed him as king. But why am I saying all that? Because this is the sad part, is that with all the sons, Jesse didn't even consider David an uh, exemplary enough to even bring him before the prophet Samuel. That's father rejection. Imagine you having a father when a dignitary comes and your father doesn't even think enough about you to present you before the dignitary. How do you think David felt about that? You know, and this again is in 1 Samuel 16. Um, it was sad, but it was, oh, sorry, verses 10 through 13. And you can look that up. But this is the, this is David experiencing rejection. And then, and I don't have it in my notes, but it, you can actually look further down when, um, David went to bring lunch to his brothers when uh, Israel and the Philistines were antagonizing each other and Goliath was you know there to, to to represent the Philistines when David came out there to to bring lunch to his brothers they they despised him and they rejected him they were like you know what are you doing out here you little ready thing you know they were disrespecting him you know, so David went through rejection not only with his father Jesse but with his brothers so when he went out to just bring him lunch and then the end you know if you know the story David took on Goliath and took him down you know because the, the anointing of God the, the hand of God was on his life but guess what Did that, you never see in the Bible where his brothers celebrated him they despised him so what's the other example of rejection David went through King Saul Saul loved David you'll see that in 1 Samuel 16 21 through 22 but Saul, you know, David was inevitably went from the shepherd to being in the house of Saul because he was also a worshiper, a musician. And when David played, it calmed Saul's 
uh, vexation because he was vexed with demons. Um, and when David would play, it would calm Saul down. But it got to the point where Saul was so uh, hating of David that he threw a spear at David, tried to kill him, not just once, but several times with a spear. And David dodged and he kept coming back. And it got to the point where Saul even appointed David as over his over a regiment of his army. And David would do many great exploits of war. And they would make this, they eventually made up the song where they said Saul ki killed thousands, but David killed 10,000s. And it caused Saul to be bitter towards David to the point where David had to flee for his life and Saul pursued to kill him. And even in the when, when David was in the cave of Adullam, Saul would to kill him and it, David had to hide and David had opportunity to kill him. And, and this is in one of, if you go into season one of my podcast, I talk about that. But even with all that, when David, after David cut a piece of his robe and Saul was leaving, David called to him and called him father. Because that's how David perceived Saul as a father. And even Saul referred back to him as son. So imagine this, you go from having Jesse, a father who didn't even regard you as someone worthy of being his son, when when it, when Samuel the prophet came, Jesse basically rejected him, and not until Samuel had to ask him, "Do you have any more sons left?" Did Jesse even consider him worthy to be brought in? You go from Jesse to Saul, who basically tries to kill you at every given moment, and no matter how much you do to help him, he's trying to kill you and pursue you into the mountains where you're hiding. Man, that's just father failure after father failure. See, it's, it's one thing to be rejected by those who are who you don't live with, but it's another thing when you're rejected by those who are supposed to be the closest to you. Your father. That's a hard one. And I know many of you can understand that. Um, let's talk about Michael. Here's another area of rejection. David, eventually, his first wife was Saul's daughter, Michael. That was his spouse, 2 Samuel 6, 16. So what happened in that one? So, and why did I give you that scripture? So this is an episode of rejection again. Um, by this time, you know, uh, David was king over not only Judah, but over Israel. This is after Saul's passing. And so David brings the ark back into the kingdom, uh, the, into Israel. And while he's bringing the ark in, he's dancing because in the ark is the presence of God. David's dancing before the Lord. And Michael is disrespecting him. She's, she has this contempt and disgust towards her husband and mocks him in front of his face. And so he's like, look, I'll, not only will I be undignified, if, I'll be more undignified if I'm dancing before, the God, before God. But to have your spouse now who, by the way, happens to be the daughter of Saul, who was your second father figure who rejected you. Now his daughter is rejecting you. And and because of her contempt and disgust towards David, she never had any children with David because the Lord caused that to happen because of her dishonor of her husband and the king that God appointed. But probably the worst area of rejection he went through, and this was his son Absalom. There's a whole story behind that, but um, the whole situation with David's family became a mess because David um, slept with Bathsheba. He had Bathsheba was a married woman. She was married to Uriah. David saw her on in a bathing from his rooftop and informed in his mind that he wants to have her. So he set it up so that Uriah, who was a faithful soldier to David, would be put on the front line and eventually it, he was killed. That was David's intention. And God knew it. And when, after Uriah died, and David, um, you know, had, by that time, David had already impregnated Bathsheba by sleeping with her. And David was so deceitful that he tried to get Uriah to sleep with his wife, Bathsheba, so it could be perceived as being Uriah's kid. But Uriah was faithful to fight because they were in a war. He would not lay with his wife while there was war. And, and, so as a result, David eventually 
uh, connived to have him killed in, you know, in the front line, and it, and it did happen. And so after um, David did all that, the prophet Nathan um, presented a scenario before David, you know, about, and David said, you know, basically uh, said the, basically agreed based on what Nathan said, agreed with the with the parable that Nathan put out there and said that the man who committed the wrong should die. And Nathan said, that's you. And David could have acted any kind of way, but David repented, but there still was judgment. See, the thing is, with all that being said, you can you can do whatever you want to do, but you're not free from the consequences of your actions. So while you have free will to do whatever you want, the consequences are still set in motion by your decisions. So what happened? David was free to do what he wanted to do, but the consequences were because of his sin and his transgressions, God said the sword would fall in your very house. In other words, your house would be in turmoil because of your actions. So what was some of the turmoil? Number one, the, the child that Bathsheba conceived in an adulterous affair with David died. But afterwards, David had Solomon him and Bathsheba had Solomon and you know even though Solomon was the wisest man in the, in the world one of the, and the, probably the wealthiest man in the world um, at that time um, it didn't change the fact that there was a lot of harshness a lot of uh, negative adverse consequences that happened in David's family because of his sin he committed with Bathsheba and one of those but it, it affected Absalom his son how did it affect it? Well, 2 Samuel 13, chapter 13 through 15, you'll see. In 2 Samuel 13, David had a daughter named uh, Tamar. And um, David had a, a son, I believe his name was Amnon, um, which uh, Amnon, who was, a, who was a Tamar's, I guess you could say, half-brother, uh, Amnon uh, kind of fell in love with Tamar. And so what happened was that because of his, his um, you know, his deep love for his sister, his half-sister Tamar, uh, Amnon unfortunately um, did something very detrimental. He raped his sister Tamar. Now Tamar and Absalom, who was David's other son, were full brother and sister, not half. And so when Absalom found out about what Amnon did to Tamar. He was upset. He wanted to kill him. But, you know, David, you know, you know, God intervened and asked him not to do that. He said, I'd handle it. But in a, in a long story short, what happened was Absalom um, had dinner and invited all the family. David couldn't come, but he invited Amnon there. And at the dinner, um, Absalom had one of his servants murder Amnon. And uh, and he murdered him for what he did to his sister Tamar. And so after he had him murdered, he fled from the kingdom of Israel, you know, for fear of his father um, avenging the death of Amnon, his his son. Um, and so uh, what happened was eventually uh, Joab, who was in uh, Amnon, uh, who was in um, David's kingdom, um, kind of finagled to have. David forgive Absalom and bring him back, and David did, because David wanted to have relationship with Absalom, and so Joab convinced him to um, bring him back in, and he did bring him back in. But then in Second Samuel 15, Absalom again, this is the sword falling in David's house, connived to basically take the kingdom from his father David. So what Absalom did was he would go and kind of talk to the people and win their favor and say to them, you know, hey, look, my father's so busy, he can't judge us, but if I were king, I would judge it. And he would basically connive and, and play people. And eventually he convinced people of Israel that he would be a better king than, than his father, David. And to the point, even where he convinced one of his father's most trusted counselors, uh, Ahithopel, to join him in taking over basically a coup over his father's kingdom. And so here you see another form of rejection. You have a son who his father wanted to be close to, 
David wanted to be close to his son, Absalom, and his son rejected his father's desire to be united with him after his return from exile and plotted to take his kingdom from his father to the point where his father had to flee from his very kingdom. And the, the level of disgust and disdain that Absalom had, he, has had, he disrespected his father so much so that he even slept with his father's concubines which is a, in, in public, which is a, a symbol of utter disrespect for his father that was like basically showing publicly to the, to the world that I don't respect my father's authority and I don't respect my father. And um, eventually, you know, what happened is that Absalom had to flee because David came in. They kind of set up, David set up where he would have people, spies, acting like they were on behalf of Absalom, but they report back that they would happen. Eventually, Absalom uh, fled, got his hair stuck in a tree, and was was uh, killed by one of um, David's uh, soldiers, his ranking soldiers. Um, but it didn't change the fact that all of this was caused by David's uh, disregard or, or uh, God commanding sentence unto David because of his actions with Bathsheba. But it didn't change the fact also that time after time after time, David went through this rejection from his father Jesse to his surrogate father Saul to Saul's daughter who was his wife Michael and eventually from his own children, especially Absalom. David with all of this rejection and there are other um, examples of rejection David went through but the bigger question was this. Well, how did he allow his faith to overcome his feelings of rejection? David's main weapon or main venue of faith to help him overcome his feelings of rejection was his worship. I mean, throughout the Psalms, Psalms are all songs that David wrote of worship. David's worship soothed Saul, but inevitably it disturbed Saul's demons so much so Saul tried to kill him. So what does that mean? It means when you begin to worship God to overcome your feelings, don't be surprised if your worship stirs demons and intensifies your storms. You can expect that when you worship God, it will get worse before it gets better because you're, you're, you're disturbing the environment that's trying to overtake you. You're disturbing the feelings that want you to go a certain way but your faith is taking you back to the cross. Another venue that David used was prayer. He sought God in prayer in the midst of apparent defeat. First Samuel 31 through 8, you know the story. David came back from uh, fighting and they had taken his family and they destroyed his town in Ziglag. And, and the men even that he was fighting with and alongside, because they were looking at him like, yo, we're going to kill you, man. We lost everything because we followed you. But instead of receiving and getting into his feelings, he asked for the epod and he sought God in prayer. And he, God told him to pursue and overtake. And he did. He didn't get into his feelings. He got into God. And even with this situation, if you remember what I was just talking about in Second uh, Samuel, the uh, 13th to the 15th chapter, David went through a whole lot with um, his son Absalom, you know, as far as that betrayal. But one of the things that David did um, when he was going through that, what hurt him the most, not only was with, not only with what um, Absalom did, but with Ahim Ahithamol. Ahithophel, his trusted advisor, turned on him. And so you'll see in Psalms 55, David wrote this, a beautiful psalm. And, and why am I saying all this? Because David didn't share his feelings with others. He shared his feelings with God. That's key. When you're going through, when you're in your, your, your storm, when you're in exile because of someone you trusted turned and betrayed you, don't go talking to other people. Go talk to God about it. Look at Psalms 55. I'm reading this from the Message Bible. Really beautiful. It says, Open your ears, God, to my prayer. 
Don't pretend you don't hear me knocking. Come closer and whisper your answer. I really need you. I shudder at the mean voice quail before the evil eye as they pile on the guilt, stockpile angry slander. My insides are turned inside out. Specters of death have me down. I shake with fear. I shudder from head to foot. Who will give me wings, I ask. Wings like a dove. Get me out of here on dove wings. I want some peace and quiet. I want a walk in the country. I want a cabin in the woods. I'm desperate for a change from rage and stormy weather. Come down hard, Lord. Slit their tongues. I'm appalled how they split the city into rival gangs, prowling the alleys, day and night spoiling for a fight. Trash piled in the streets, even shopkeepers gouging and cheating in broad daylight. This isn't the neighborhood bully mocking me. I could take that. This isn't a foreign devil spitting invective. I could tune that out. It's you. We grew up together, you, my best friend. Those long hours of leisure as we walked arm in arm, God, a third party to our conversation. Haul my betrayers off alive to hell. Let them experience the horror. Let them feel every desolate detail of a damned life. I call to God. God will help me. At dusk, dawn, and noon, I sigh deep sighs. He hears. He rescues. My life is well and whole, secure in the middle of danger. Even while thousands are lined up against me, God hears it all. And from his judge's bench, puts them in their place. But set in their ways, they won't change. They pay him no mind. And this, my best friend, betrayed his best friends. His life betrayed his word. All my life, I've been charmed by his speech. Never dreaming he'd turn on me. His words, which were music to my ears, turn to daggers in my heart. He was talking about Ahith, Ahithopel, his friend and his advisor. But this is the, again, this is the beautiful thing, is that David didn't go to others to express his feelings. He went to God to express his pain and his feelings. And this is what you should do, beloved. I'm not saying your feelings aren't relevant. They're relevant. But when God says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you, he's saying, come tell me what you care about. Come tell me what your feelings are. Don't go telling everyone else. Because unlike them, God won't take your feelings and agree with everything, but he'll take your feelings and he'll turn it into something beautiful. Remember, and I know you've heard the scripture. It says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God says, I'll avenge. You know, but your friends can't avenge. I mean, they could try. They'll just make it worse. But God's saying, let me do that. Now, it may be God may extend grace to them and not do anything. But it also may be that God may do what he sees, you know, and he may avenge. And believe me, and I've seen it personally, what God does far outweighs what man can do. So let me talk about myself. I know y'all been waiting for this. Let me talk about my testimony about rejection. Um, I mean, I've been through, as you have too, moments where I've really been hampered by rejection. It's been... One of the toughest mountains for me to overcome. But I'll give you an example. So when I was a, a, a child, my mother had a good friend whose husband was a barber. And uh, we went over his house. I got my hair cut. And unbeknownst to me, I developed a skin condition because he didn't clean his clippers. It's known as keloid. And what happened was I got these skin deformities in the back of my head, which I didn't know what was causing this? Because he, his sons had this condition, he didn't clean his clippers, I got the condition. And it would form these bumps, these nasty white pussy bumps in the back of my head. And they would, it was so disgusting. But I was innocent because I didn't know what happened. But what happened was, you know, um, 
went through a lot of rejection um, outside of my family and within the family um, because of this condition that I had nothing to do with. So inevitably, you know, this is growing up in the 80s, I would put a shag, I would grow a shag in the back of my head. Anyone who knows what a shag is, it's like a long hair um, that would cover up. So, you know, back in the day, we would have afros, and I would have one too, but um, inevitably, afros would away, and I would have a shag or something. I would let my hair grow out so it would um, encompass or, or cover up the keloids. But it didn't change the fact that, you know, even with all that, I'd still have these, I'd still have this pussing out, these white pus developments out of my head. And imagine as a kid, you don't know what to go with that. You know, people are looking at you in disgust and they're like, ill. It's like having leprosy. And what would be bad is, you know, my parents tried their best. My, my father especially would go out of his way to make sure I had that um, shag because he didn't want me to go through all of that. I respect my father and my mother. They tried the best they could. But, you know, inevitably, if you go to the wrong barber, they would cut that. And... I, my, <laughs> I remember days my parents would look at me like, ill, and I'd be like, wow. So I, I felt rejected because, you know, if it wasn't that, it was my dark skin complexion. My mother was lighter skin. Uh, my father was dark skin, but my mother particularly had a problem with my darker complexion. Um, and so to the point where she would, um, you know, we, in the summertime, we'd go swimming at our uh neighborhood pool and afterwards she would tell me put on this cream so after you, know, you get out the pool there's chlorine on your body you take a shower which I would do faithfully and she'd give me this ambi skin cream and what I didn't know I thought it was to help moisten my skin after coming out of the shower but it was a skin whitening cream and I was like well why do I have to put on and I asked her why do I have to put this on you know once I discovered and read what it was because I told her I said I thought it was you know moisturizer like lotion she said no baby your skin's too dark so imagine me I'm about I think about 10 9 or 10 and when my, I hear my mother tell me you're too dark in my mind I interpret that as you're not acceptable i.e. I reject you and I put it on faithfully because I didn't want to disappoint my mom but in my mind I'm personally thinking I have a defect because I'm dark. So I'm already dealing with the fact that I got these keloids in the back of my head. And now I'm dealing with the fact that I'm dark. And I'm not acceptable to my mother. And again, I want you to understand something. I'm not, my mother went through a lot of rejection herself. And so when, when you don't heal from that, you begin to project that rejection to other people. I now realize that it, now that I'm older, but at that time as a kid, all I could hear was, you're not acceptable enough. And so you grow up with that stigma, thinking you're not acceptable. And you begin to project that on yourself and others. And so, you know, I projected it on others. If I wasn't good enough, you weren't good enough. And so I, would, I grew up as a child and as a teenager feeling rejected totally. And similar to those feelings I talked about, I went through disappointment, discouragement, anger, hurt. And it, 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 you saw it in my relationships, with my friendships. You saw it with my uh, relationships with my girlfriends. You know, I, I, I would gravitate towards women who would reject me based on my skin complexion or because of my hair condition or my scalp condition. And so, you know, it got to a point where it was, I was in college by this time. I remember, I can't remember, I won't tell you the year, but I will, 1988, I went through a very crushing year. Um, and I remember I was so, how can I put it? I was so devastated because I had just gotten out of a bad relationship. Really bad. You talk about, that's like almost three times rejection. I won't go into the details because I'm not here to give tea. 
<laughs> but it got me to a place where I got desperate for God. And at that time, actually, I was between joining the Nation of Islam, the Fruit of Islam. And um, I was studying the Quran. I was looking at things. I was listening to tapes with Louis Farrakhan. And um, something inside of me said, you know, before you go fully in, maybe you need to give Jesus one more chance. And so I did, and I, I asked my mom. I didn't get into the details of letting her know, hey, look, I'm thinking about joining the, you know, the Nation of Islam. Um, but I think she perceived it, and she said, look, let me, I'm sending you this Bible. I think you'll like it. Now, mind you, my mom was a King James Version person, period. She was a dean of a Bible college. She was a teacher. She was a scholar. And here's her baby boy about to become a member of the Nation of Islam. And I was fully getting ready to get into it. But I said, Mom, I'll send me that Bible. Because in my mind, you know what I was thinking? Okay, I'm going to use this Bible to, to use it as a tool to dissuade Christians from showing them they're the wrong in their religion and that the true the true religion the true um, truth is found in the fruit of Islam in the Quran but I started reading that Bible which was an NIV Bible student Bible student study Bible the more I read it I said wow um Maybe this, my version of Jesus and what I've been hearing, him being as a weak, fake prophet, maybe I was wrong. Because here he is in the temple, rebellious, not rebellious, but he was straight up handling people. He wasn't weak. He looked strong. He was, he was militant. <laughs> and I began to read and I started saying, wow maybe my perception of Jesus was wrong and I kept reading and I kept reading and the more I read the more I realized the Jesus that they showed me in church was not the Jesus in the Bible and I began to actually realize that I had the wrong perception of God and you know what that did to me it made me think well if I had the wrong perception of God and the wrong perception of Jesus maybe I have the wrong perception of myself Maybe the me that I've been looking at and my self-perception was based on other people's perception of me. And that's wrong. Maybe I should get a clear understanding of who I really am. And the only person that could really tell me who I am is the person that created me. So I began to unlearn who I am based on how I saw myself through other people's eyes and began to redirect the lens and, and, and remove the wrong lens and put the right lens in, which was God's lens. How does God see me? And so I did some practical things and then I did some spiritual things. One of the practical things I did was something I did, which was revolutionary in 1987, 88. Um, well, 88. Instead of dealing with how people perceive me and how people disdain me by these keloids I had in the back of my head, one of the things I did was I went to a barber named Mr. Lester, who was my barber, and I said, cut off the shack. And he said, excuse me? I said, yeah, cut off the shack. I said, I'm tired of having to cover up things that other people are disgusted by. I have to accept myself fully if I'm going to ever walk in any truth. So he cut off the shack, and those keloids were pussy and bleeding all over the place. You know what Miss Lester said? He said, if you expose it, they'll eventually go away. Wow. To this day, I thank Mr. Lester for that. He said, if you expose them, they'll eventually dry up and go away. So what I did was I chose to expose rather than hide my keloids, my skin defect. And you know what happens when you expose secrets? They eventually, like Mr. Lester said, they dry up and go away. And really what happens is you disarm Satan. Satan is only as strong as the secrets you keep. 
Satan is disarmed when secrets are no longer secrets. So I chose to do a practical step by exposing what was hidden. And guess what? They have dried up and they have gone away. And guess what else dried up? People's perceptions. So you can't hold that against me if it's not there. But also I had to learn to redefine myself by going back to what the originator said about me. See, in Romans 12, he says what? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I had to go back to, I had to get myself renewed to who I am by going back to find out what my creator said. So I'd start looking at things like, you know, Psalms 139, verses 13 through 17. Let me go there. I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there. I'm going to do it. Uh, I don't want to do it in the Message Bible. I don't know. Let's see. Psalms 139, uh, verse 13 through 17. I don't know who is that rumbling, but I'll leave it alone. Um, so, let me put my glasses on for this one. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, but I'm being human. So Psalms 139, verses 13 through 17. I'm in the New Living Translation. You see, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. So this was telling me that, man, I'm not some mess. I'm not, I'm, he put me together in my mother's womb. I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth it right well. Your thoughts towards me are precious. Do you know what that does to a young man or to a little boy who's been told or been perceived all his life as being less than? And by the way, who wrote that? David, the one who was so acquainted with rejection. Here's another one, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. And y'all know these things. And it may even seem rehearsed, but don't, don't, see, it's all in how you perceive it. If you just read it, but you don't understand what God's saying about you, you'll never get it. But Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5 says, The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now that's what God was saying specifically to Jeremiah. But God, if it's applicable to Jeremiah, it's applicable to you. Maybe not in the terms of the prophetic appointment, but the fact that God knew you before you were even put into this earth, he knew you. And if he knew you that well, he perceived you. I mean, he, he knew you before you were conceived in your mother's womb. That means he thought enough about you to bring you into this world. He loved you that much. But the biggest thing is this. Again, it goes back to what, he, what Jesus came for. If it was... Man, look, I say this so much, and I know you've heard this, but it's, it's still true. If you were the only person in this world, and you were, you were sentenced to death because of your sin, Jesus still would have come to die for you. That's love. And so, beloved, listen, rejection is real. But his love is even greater than the rejection. His love for you and in his love for you and just as his child is far greater than any rejection man could put on you. So do we go through rejection? Absolutely. And every day I have to remind myself of who I am, understanding that you will experience rejection. But rejection doesn't have to have a hold of you. You take that feeling of rejection, you take it captive and bring it to the obedience of the word of God. You don't let it reign over you. You reign over it by your faith and by his promises and by his word and by your worship. You bring that 
rejection down. And your prayers, don't go, when you feel rejection, don't go talking to your, your buddy. Don't go talking to your mama. And realistically, I know you may love your spouse. You may not want to even bring it to them. Go in prayer. And like David did in Psalms 55, tell God how you feel. And give it to him. Cast it on him. And watch rejection like those keloids in the back of my head fall off. You expose it to God in prayer. And that way, Satan has no secrets on you. You expose it to him in prayer and you give it to him and it will dry up and it will die out. Because you chose to expose rather than to hide. You chose to redefine and unlearn people's perceptions of you so you can learn how God sees you. This is how we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. But we overcome also by our worship, by our prayer and by keeping our prayer life solitude so that whatever we feel, we give it to him, to the father and he'll deal with it. I hope and pray this word has been a blessing to you. If it has, Please subscribe on our money platforms or better yet, hit us up on our our Facebook page, our Instagram page. Um, don't put it on them. The, please DM us. Let me put it that way if you're going to do it that way. But most of all, people have been sending emails and it's been a blessing. So I hope that again, this word has been a blessing to you. I'm sorry it's gone this long, um, but I'm doing this because the rejection is a monster. And I pray that this blesses you. If it has, let us know. Amen. And at this point, I'm going to sign off and pray that you have a blessed week. And also pray for the Nichols family. Pray for others who have gone through similar experiences. And pray for those police officers too. It's tight, but it's right. It's what God told us to do. So with that, I'm going to say I love you. Talk to you. Love ya. Thank you for listening to another podcast. For now, we're going to offer the call of salvation. And I'm going to offer you two scriptures. The first one is Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The other one, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So now, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me in faith. And I want you to believe that everything you pray is true and God will answer. So pray this after me. Lord, I admit I am a sinner. I need and want your forgiveness. I accept your death as the penalty for my sin. I recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you offer to me because of your great love. Not based on anything I have done. Cleanse me and make me your child. By faith, I receive you into my heart as the Son of God and as Savior and Lord of my life. From now on, help me live for you with you in control. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Welcome to the family. Feel free to give us a shout out on our Facebook page 
or our Instagram page or on our, uh, you can email us at altrinity1 at gmail.com or, you know, however you choose to reach out to us. But we want to know if you received Christ. We want to make information and materials available to you if you have for your next steps. And if you need a help finding a faith-based Bible teaching, Bible believing church home, we have resources available to you. So we look forward to hearing from you. We are excited for you. Welcome to the family. We love you and God bless you. Lift off and the clock has started.